0: Samuel will be preaching for us this morning out of the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Would you go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God... When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Amen. You may be seated.
1: stop off and see the new baby there, the new pet baby in the house. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. So as I was perusing the bulletin this morning, I noticed on the inside cover there are many lines to take sermon notes, and so I thought, this is great. I'm going to get to talk for a long time today. But even if there are a few lines, you know me, I probably would talk for a while. So anyway, uh, praise the Lord. Thank you uh, for the bulletin makers. If you guys have uh, bulletins, you can open those and take notes there or a journal. But we highly encourage you to write things down and so you can remember them. It's such a good way to process as you're learning. Even if you never look at it again, but you write it down as you're hearing it, it's just passing through another part of your brain to write it down and process it'll help it help you remember so I encourage you to process through writing as you're listening so first Peter chapter 2 verses 18 through 25 we got started on these last week and uh, today will be we'll wrap up this section with the part two message as we're going to talk about the application of these verses so how do we flesh these out how do we live in obedience to what God's expectation is. So I'd like to pray here as I get started. Father, thank you for this day. I pray for grace. I pray for wisdom. God, I pray for help. I need it. Um, Lord, we need it. We we need your Holy Spirit to to speak through me and and to, to deliver your word with with passion and with accuracy and clarity. God, we need you to, to keep everyone alert and hungry and yeah, just give us understanding according to your word, Lord. We need that understanding. That's what brings joy to our hearts when we get to know you more through your word. Uh, use this time, Lord, for the, the building up of the saints, we pray, and for the conviction of anyone who might be far away from you today, God. We pray that this time will be a blessing to them as well and that you would draw them near to you because there is nothing better than knowing you Lord and that's why we're here today to learn from your word we love you and we praise you in Jesus name amen so my dad had a saying that he often repeated when we were complaining as a as a child as my brothers and I would complain about things we would say dad it's not fair this isn't fair. This situation, the way I was treated, this teacher, that coach, you, dad, you're not fair. Like, we complained. It's not fair. My dad had a, a simple retort for that. Son, who said life is fair? The end. Who said life is fair? Oh, that's my dad. So. Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a good point though, isn't it? Who said life is fair? And life is not fair in a fallen world, correct? We've all experienced injustice. And it's no different. Times haven't changed since, since the fall of mankind way back in the book of Genesis. People have been abusing each other, mistreating each other, exercising authority over each other in unjust ways. These things have been going on since the dawn of time. It was no different in the first century when we had uh, slavery built into the, the, the Roman world and the, and the system in those days. And people would be considered the property of, of their owners. Slaves would be the property of their owners, and oftentimes they would be treated unjustly, with no dignity, or unfairly. Life isn't fair. And although we don't have slavery in our context today, we still, we still deal with injustice. Whether it's in the, the legal systems or in, in our job places, in our relationships where we're not treated fairly, we're all going to deal with uh, situations where we feel like life isn't fair. This isn't going my way. What have I done to deserve this? Whatever the case may be. And so this passage is certainly relevant for us despite the fact that we don't have Slavery. So the question is, what does it look like for us to live according to the gospel when we're being treated unjustly? How do we respond? That makes all the difference. Our response is what matters. How are we going to respond when we're treated unjustly? We will be treated unjustly. We're going to suffer injustice. How do we respond? It makes all the difference. If you respond in anger and retaliation, there's so much on the line. You sin against God. You sin, you, you hurt yourself. You hurt the relationship, the person that you sin against. You hurt your testimony. You can lose your witness and the power of your testimony if you respond in anger and retaliation. And you can ultimately hurt God's reputation as well. There's so much at stake. On the, other, on the other hand, when we endure suffering, God will be glorified and we will be rewarded in this life and the life to come. So how do we respond when we're treated unfairly? Are we in anger and retaliation and hurting our witness? Are we, are we persevering and showing the world, What Jesus is like through our witness. That's the question we're going to be dealing with today. How do we respond? What does it look like for us to apply the gospel in situations that are hard and unfair? So last week we saw a command to obey and four motivations or four reasons why we should obey. If you look back in the text at verses at verse 18, we saw the command to obey servants be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So there was a command to obey right off the bat. Then we saw that there is a, a reward that God promises for those who obey. And that reward is the grace of God or, or ultimately salvation and blessing from God. And we saw that in verses 19 through 20. It says, this is a grace or a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows While suffering unjustly, what credit is it? What reward is there? In other words, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if you, but if when you, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God looks on this with favor. God will reward you. God will bless you when you endure unjust suffering. We also see that we have an example to follow, so we, we can't use that as an excuse. We can't say, well, I don't know what it, I don't know what it looks like to, to suffer injustice and to, to endure it. We can't say that because we have the perfect example in Jesus Christ. Peter reminded us of that in verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 21 and following. He said, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. See, we have the example of Christ. He didn't retaliate. Instead, he trusted God and endured the suffering and the pain. We see the motivation of the gospel in verse 24. Again, review of last week, we saw the gospel. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. We don't have to retaliate when we suffer. We don't have to respond in anger. You may want to. You may feel the passion in the heat of the moment, but you don't have to lash out or or seek revenge. And the last reason for obeying The command of submission to unjust masters is seen in verse 25, where we see that God is ultimately the authority in every situation. Those masters are ultimately not in charge. God is. It says that we were straying like sheep, but we have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. See, he's the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the one watching out for us. He is the overseer of our souls. He has ultimate authority. He's in charge of all things. So we have motivation to obey, trusting God, knowing that he is good. So, today, let's look at how to apply each of those things. So, we take each of those those four that we just talked about. We're promised a reward, we have an example to follow, we have motivation through the gospel, and the fact that God is a trustworthy authority. How do we live according to these principles? First of all, today, we're going to have application of each one of those. So, we're going to have four points of application today. Number one, remember the reward. If there is a great reward promised for obedience, let us remember the reward in the midst of suffering. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Let's look forward to it with all of our hearts. Let's hope in the rewards to come. Peter uses rewards as an incentive, doesn't he? Remember back in chapter one, verse seven. Remember what Peter said there? Let's look back. Peter talks in chapter one, verse seven, about the uh, being grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we talk through this section, we ask the question, what is it that's being praised and honored and glorified at the revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, the subject in view here is your faith. And as your faith is purified, in the end, it will be rewarded. It will be honored. It will be praised. By God himself, can you imagine what it will be like to have God uh, shower you with honor and glory and blessings? See, Peter is using rewards as an incentive. He does this in chapter 4, verse 13. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. He says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. One day the glory of God is going to be revealed. You will rejoice and be glad in that day if you share in Christ's sufferings and do not retaliate in your anger, in the passion, or the heat of the moment. Chapter 5, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Shepherds, if you shepherd the the church of God, you'll receive this unfading crown of glory. And what about chapter 5, verse 10? After you have suffered a little while, look at the reward that comes. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's what you have to look forward to as you endure trials. Strengthening, blessing, confirmation from God, affirmation from God, blessing from God, his peace, his joy, sweet fellowship with God is what we have to look forward to. So Peter talks repeatedly about the rewards that we have to look forward to. And so he is giving us this incentive to keep our eyes on the prize. He wants to remind us that it will be worth it to endure the trial in a way that honors the Lord. In the midst of a trial, whose honor do you care about, your own or God's? Whose reputation do you care about, your own or God's? When you care about God's reputation more than uh, releasing the anger, the frustration that you're feeling, God will bless that. He will reward that. Certainly at the last day he will reward that, but he rewards that even here and now with his joy and his peace and his blessings. In order to look forward to the reward, we we must look forward to the day of Christ's return when he blesses his people for their obedience to him. You know, this this is actually going to happen. Jesus is going to return. He's going to call you to stand before him. And he's going to, uh, you're going to give an account for your life. And he's going to reward and bless you for your faithfulness. That is going to happen. How glorious will that day be? How wonderful will it be? I saw a small glimpse of this yesterday. Uh, Sammy, Sammy's soccer team finished up their season. And they 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 won the championship in their for their soccer league. Okay, so they they lost one game all year, and, and they won the you know they won first place. And oh, the glory of that moment! I'm serious. It was glorious. It was great. Yes, I'm a proud dad, but I mean, there is something special about that moment when a team uh, comes in first place. They ran the race. They persevered. They fought the good fight. They crossed the finish line. They came in first. That moment is special. It's glorious. I mean, parents circled around their kids. The medals were being passed out. I mean, emotions were running high. People were misty-eyed. It was a special moment. The glory of winning the rec soccer league was memorable. It was momentous. It was a momentous occasion. I remember uh, several years ago when the Royals won the World Series, and just to watch everybody charge onto the field in that moment, right when the championship was won, I mean, there's just something special. I mean, that's why people watch sports. That that excitement, that. That victory, right? That moment is powerful. Guys, these things all pale in comparison. For the day, the glorious day of the return of the Son of Man when He calls His church and His people to stand before Him. Paul talked about it. He said, man, I can't wait to stand before God with you, my joy and my crown. You see, this he had this picture in his mind of coming before the throne as not just himself, but as, as these people that he discipled and brought into the kingdom, standing before God, mature and complete, with nothing to be ashamed of, and God just smiling on them. He looked forward to that day with all of his heart. He looked forward to the reunion with his master and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Doesn't that move you? What will it be like? I mean, if it was glorious to see this little team win a soccer championship, what is it going to be like to see the church win the championship? Come on. This is going to be awesome. But think about the, the championship that, uh, that the team won yesterday. Imagine the refs were terrible and they missed the calls. They were unfair and they penalized our team. What happens if our team loses our temper and the coach loses his cool and gets tossed out of the game and several players get ejected? What happens to the championship? It goes away. <laughs> you say, well, we were not being treated fairly. It doesn't matter. If you lose your cool, you lose the championship. See, you have to maintain your integrity. But since this team was able to persevere under trial, this is a hypothetical situation as far as the refs and everything goes, but when, when you persevere under those trials, then you get to experience the sweetness of victory. See how that works? You're going to be in unfair circumstances, unfair situations. But when you keep your eyes on the prize and you remember, man, it's going to be a glorious day. We need to make it through this time right here and right now. We need to persevere because in the end, it's going to be worth it. If you turn in your Bible back a few pages to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to see this principle. This isn't just Peter's idea. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and following. You'll see the other Bible writers hitting on the same theme. And I love this when you start to see the the consistency of Scripture, right? You see see the cross-references? You start to see those major themes in Scripture. Here it is in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 32. Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. See that? For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. This is actually going to happen, he says in verse 37. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Now if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls see that looking forward to the reward how do you endure these hard things you're going through how do you endure those those unjust circumstances one day the lord is going to return and he will remember the way that i have endured this trial and he will reward me he will bless me how about jesus in chapter 12 go ahead and turn over to hebrews 12 1 and 2 what did jesus do how did jesus endure the scorn of the cross Look at your Bibles with me. Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at that. How did Jesus endure the cross? By looking to the joy that was set before him. On the other side of that cross, there is unspeakable, eternal joy waiting for me. I will be seated at the right hand of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about the cross and the subsequent glories. He was thinking about the reward. He was keeping his eyes on the prize. Are you doing that in the midst of your trials, keeping your eyes on the prize, remembering that, that God's glory is, is, is worth the suffering? Must hold on to this precious truth. Take your eyes off the trial and remember the reward. Listen, take your eyes off the trial, remember the reward. How does that look? Uh, last week before church, God just gave me a, a general reminder of this principle. Something happened, you know, one of the kids had an argument or something, and I, I just immediately felt the, the frustration and the impatience. How many times do I have to teach you, don't fight? Why do you treat each other this way, etc.? Right? All that stuff just came rising up in me. I started to feel frustrated in that moment. Right about that time, Joy goes, Samuel, look outside at the trees. Look how pretty they are. I went, I went, what? And I looked, I took my eyes off that problem and I looked out at those trees and the splendor and the glory and the beauty. And it just like instantly my, my, my temper was just like gone. And I was just enamored and amazed <laughs> by these trees. I took my eyes off of that suffering and I put them on that glory. And all of a sudden I just sailed right through that trial. See how that works? When you're suffering in an unjust circumstance, trust me, you're going to feel the gravity of sin and the pull of this world to just focus on that, to fixate on that, and to become frustrated about it. Look to the hills from where your help comes. Take your eyes off of that trial. Look to the reward. What is the glory of God that is in store for you? You say, well, I don't know. At the moment, I can't even think about it. I, I have no idea. Pray. God, give me a vision of your glory. Help me to see it. Help me to remember it. Help me that all this suffering is going to be worth the reward that will come. That's what the saints did in Hebrews 10. They had their property plundered, but they kept their eyes on the reward. We have an enduring possession. You can take everything from me in this world, but you cannot take Jesus. My treasure is in heaven. That's where your reward is. Take your eyes off the... Trial, put him on the reward. This trial is only a test. Tell yourself that. This is just a test. It's a controlled experiment. God's in control. It's a test. God might seem like he's a million miles away, but the truth is he's right there waiting to help you and he's right there watching you. How's he going to do in the middle of the test? In this trial, when things are so unfair and and his pride is just trying to take over in this situation, is he going to humble himself under the mighty hand of God and receive grace to help him in this time of need? The other other thing we have to remember on this point, brothers and sisters, there's not only an incentive of reward, but there's also the, the... the threat of discipline if we fail. Okay, go back with me to 1 Peter. I want you to see this. It's one thing to talk about the rewards and say, just imagine the rewards for faithfulness. But we also need to keep in mind that there's discipline if we're not faithful. And we should fear the Lord. I mean, if He has to, if we're not going to submit the, to the training, if we're, we're going to start retaliating in our unjust situations... He's going to have to discipline us for that. So not only do we make a mess of our situation, but now we have to deal with God. I would rather suffer at the hands of men and be in favor with God than retaliate, probably get punished for retaliating, and then have to deal with God. 1 Peter 1, verse 17. If you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Look, you're calling on this just judge. Well, keep in mind that if you're out of line, he's going to deal with you too. We don't get a pass just because we're the children of God, we don't get to lash out at people and then just, you know, get the reward. We're going to get the discipline. In that case, hopefully so that we get the ultimate reward and the final reward. But in the meantime, instead of getting the reward of the joy and the peace and knowing that you obey God in the midst of that trial. Now you are going to get the discipline of God. Chapter three, verse seven. What does it say? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Because guess what happens when you feel like you're in an unfair situation with your wife and then you get into an argument with her and then you put her in her place, quote unquote. And then, now guess what? Now your relationship with God's messed up. Now your prayers are hindered. Now you just have turmoil instead of peace. Your prayers are hindered. You're experiencing the discipline of God because you didn't submit in that trial. To his ways. How about chapter 3, verse 12? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, including you, brothers and sisters, right? You lash out, you fight back, you argue, you act out of your flesh, now the Lord's face is against you. Chapter 4, verse 17. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What does that mean? It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. It means that God is purifying his church right here, right now. And he uses trials to do that. His judgment is beginning. His judgment is happening in your life. You're experiencing this this purification process. And he does use unjust circumstances to do that. How do you respond in those circumstances? Do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and ask for grace? Or do you lash out and have to suffer the consequences? Look at chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. When you act out of your pride, you are setting your face against God. So it's good for us to remember the rewards. It's also good on the flip side to remember the discipline that awaits us when we are unfaithful. And by the way, the best coaches to play for in, in the sporting world are the ones who do both. Right. They have incentives for obedience. But you also know that if you don't do what they say, you're in big trouble. Both of those things combined are powerful motivators. And God is God yeah, He's the ultimate motivator. He's got the supreme rewards. He's got He knows the, the discipline, right? And, the, and how to get our attention there. I'll give you another scripture. You can look it up on your own time, but Hebrews twelve, fifteen through seventeen. Where we see that once again discipline awaits those who are not faithful in the midst of the trials. Let's look at the second point today. How do we apply the second point where we are to remember the example of Christ? Remember the example of Christ. The text reads in chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in the steps. Remember the example of Christ. We are called to suffer like he did. You see that in the text right there? For to this you have been called. This is God's calling on your life. To suffer the way that Christ did. What did Jesus do? How did he suffer? You say, well, in order to know the way that Jesus suffered, we must Study the life of the suffering servant. Again, I'm talking practically. How do we follow the example of Christ? How do we remember his example so that we can apply it in the midst of our suffering? Well, if you're going to remember the example of Christ, you have to to study it. Because if you don't study it, then you quickly forget it. If you don't use it, you lose it. You have to go back to the book again and again. Who is Christ? What was he like? How did he suffer? Well, that's night and day from the way that I would naturally respond. That's the point. That's why we have to go back and study the life of the suffering servant. How did he react when he suffered at the hands of sinful men? Jesus didn't retaliate. He entrusted himself. Remember, he committed no sin. Verse 22. No deceit, no reviling, no threatening. Instead, entrusting himself to the just judge. There are things here in the text that Jesus did not do. He didn't sin, lie, rebuke, threaten. He didn't retaliate. He trusted his, his father. Why do we want to study the life of Jesus? In Colossians 3, verse 10, you can write down this reference. This is a powerful principle. Colossians 3, verse 10, it says that we are renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. The new self, Colossians 3 verse 10, the new self is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How are we renewed? In knowledge. We have to study, we have to learn and, and gather up that knowledge. And as we come into close contact with the knowledge in the, the scripture in the Bible, Begins to transform us. So we have to study the life of Jesus. Once we've studied the life of the suffering servant, like Peter was here. In verse 22, he committed no sin, no deceit in his mouth, he didn't revile. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds we have been healed. That all goes back to Isaiah 53. You see Peter here recalling the lessons from Scripture about the suffering servant. So Peter's studying Isaiah 53, and he's painting that picture for the church. This is what it looks like to suffer. So Peter's got this picture painted from Scripture. Once we study the life of the suffering servant, we arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Look at chapter four, verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh and we've studied his life of suffering in the flesh and we're familiar with it and it's renewing us, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So arm yourself with the same way of thinking. You studied his life, you see his example, you know the way that he suffered. He was silent like a sheep before its shears. When he was struck, he didn't strike back. All of these things, as we ponder those things, now we have to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. It's like Peter saying, get ready for today. It's going to be a battle. We're in the midst of a spiritual war. So prepare your minds for action. Arm yourselves with the same mindset. How do we do this? We have to think through our day. What are the challenges that we're going to experience today? And how are we going to respond? As I've, as I've been studying in 1 Peter, this is one of the most practical and helpful things that I've learned in studying this book. It's this concept of preparing your mind's for action. It's this concept of like during the times when you're abiding with Christ, thinking through your day and your life and asking yourself, what are the, what are the likely situations that I'm going to find myself in today where I'm going to experience injustice or where I'm going to be, un, uh, you know, Treated unfairly, where people are going to be disrespecting me, where I'm going to have trouble with my temporary emotions. What is that going to look like for me today? See, I I am preparing myself for battle. (laughs) I'm imagining what, what attacks am I going to see today? And now I have to start thinking how would Jesus respond in those situations? See, I've studied his life in the Word, I know my Christ. Now I have to think about how would he respond in that situation? Because that is the exact same way that I want to respond. You have to think through your life. How many times do we study our Bibles and we don't think through our lives at all? We don't think about application at all. And and here comes the day and it hits us like a freight train. We're not ready for it. What about all that great stuff that you learned in the Bible this morning? Well, didn't you think about the trials that were coming that day? It's true that we don't see them all coming. Sometimes we get those surprise attacks, but oftentimes there are patterns in our lives where we're we're just in this situation where it's unfair and it's frustrating, or, or we're gonna need God's help in that moment. And so we have to prepare ourselves for battle. I have to think about how am I gonna respond. We can journal about this morning and night. Where do you see the struggles occurring? And how are you going to respond? You have to begin with the end in mind. You have to think about like, what is it going to be like for me to have victory in that situation? How can I be like Jesus in that situation? Read to you uh, a a brief quote here. This is about beginning with the end in mind. Thinking about the outcome, the, the desired outcome before it even happens. Dr. Charles Garfield has done extensive research on peak performers, both in athletics and in business. He became fascinated with peak performance in his work with the NASA program, watching the astronauts rehearse everything on Earth again and again in a simulated environment before they went to space. Although he had a doctorate in mathematics, he decided to go back and get another PhD in the field of psychology and study the characteristics of peak performers. This is what he learned. One of the main things his research showed was that almost all of the world-class athletes and other peak performers are visualizers. They see it, they feel it, they experience it before they actually do it. They begin with the end in mind. See that? Think about great athletes, like Michael Jordan or some of these others. You know, they imagine themselves in the championship game, the games on the line, you got two free throws, one to tie, one to win. And imagine themselves in that situation. What would it feel like? What would the pressure be? And they say, I'm, I'm going I'm to shoot the ball just like this. And they shoot and they shoot. And they practice over and over and over again with the end in mind. They think about this is, this is the goal. This is how I'm going to respond. That's arming yourselves for battle. So the second point here. Uh, back to the text of 1 Peter Christ is our example so study his example learn from his example and think through your life and how you can apply his example brothers and sisters if you would just begin to do that with your life I mean this this whole church experience today would be worth it for you to start thinking through your life how am I going to respond to this situation how can I deal with that What prayer am I going to pray? What scripture am I going to turn to? How am I going to bring Christ to that situation? Think through your life and how to apply it. You've got the example of Jesus. How are you going to apply that in your life? Number three, reflect on the gospel for strength. If we're given the gospel, we talked about this last week, if the gospel motivates our obedience, it doesn't do any good unless we reflect on it. So we reflect on the gospel for strength. Apparently, Peter believed the gospel is a powerful motivator for righteous living. Look in chapter one, verse 17. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See what he's doing there? He's motivating their obedience by going back to the shed blood of the lamb. He's saying, this is why you should obey. God gave his only son. He died for you. Reflect on that. Think about that. That should motivate you. And let me be specific here. When you're reflecting on the gospel, think especially about the cross. Think especially about the cross. When you look at the cross, it will stop you dead in your tracks. Why? Because there on the cross hangs a man who died for your crimes. And when you see that, that must stop you from sinning. It will. Looking on the cross is like it's like having a near-death experience, you could say. If you meditate on the cross, not just with your mind, but all the way, let it sink down into your heart what Jesus did for you. That is like that is it will have the same kind of effect as a near-death experience. What do I mean by that? Because once again, He died on the cross in your place. That should have been you on the cross. You're looking at what should have been done to you. In that bloody, mutilated body of Jesus, that's what you deserved, but instead of you taking that punishment, Jesus took it for you, so it's a a near-death experience, it's like, wow, I should have gotten hit by that bullet, but Jesus got hit instead, that is a motivator for me now, to obey the Lord, I don't know if you've ever had a near-death experience. Um, I, I honestly could think of several as I was preparing the sermon. But near-death experiences shake you up. I remember one time I was uh, climbing a, a, you know, scaling the side of a, a wall in Colorado up the side of this mountain. I have no idea what I was thinking. I guess I was just trying to be cool or something. or I didn't realize how high I was, but all of a sudden I looked back and I looked down, and I mean, I was so high up that if I had fallen, I, I have no doubt that it would have killed me. And the thing is, the only reason I looked down is because my hand slipped on a handhold. And in my mind, I knew my friend was climbing up behind me, and I thought to myself, well, if I slip, he'll just, he'll just catch me. I mean, this is all totally irrational. Like, if, if I'm falling down the side of that cliff, like, that guy is not going to catch me. But in my brain, it was just like, I was not thinking clearly. And when I looked down and realized, oh my goodness, I just about fell off the side of this thing. And if I did, there was nothing stopping me from falling fifty feet or however far it was and landing on those rocks. I'm like I would have killed me. Like it—it it just shook me up to think about that near-death experience. I shared this with the guys a couple of years ago at a morning study. But I—I um, I w- I was driving a four-wheeler, and my brother wanted me to help him load it on the back of this truck, and. So he's like, here, I'll pull it up to the side of this hill, and then you just drive it right on the truck. Well, the problem was he was about that much higher than the hill, so there was a gap. So I went to pull the four-wheeler up, and it hit the, hit the bed of the truck, and I thought, oh, I'll just back up. and I'll give it a little gas, and it'll just pop right up over there, right? So I did that, and when I did, that four-wheeler popped back like that, and it went straight vertical. And I'm on the back of that thing going, oh, my goodness, because if that thing falls over on me, I have no idea what's going to happen, but it's not going to be good. And it thank thank the Lord, it just came slammed down, slammed down and bounced a few times, and I, it just shook me up and I pulled it up into the truck. And I woke up in the middle of the night that night and the Lord was dealing with me. He was like, that was really stupid. And I realized, man, I could like I said, it was as in danger. And it shook me up. These near-death experiences shake us up to the core when we look on the cross it has that same powerful effect it motivates us with gratitude and power to live out the christian life it humbles us to the point of receiving the grace of god i'm going to move on to the the fourth point here remain remaining by our shepherd and overseer in verse 25, it says, you are straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So how do we apply the principle in this verse? We've, we've returned to the shepherd, now remain with the shepherd. Remain. Practically, how do we remain by our shepherd's side? First, we have to make sure that this is true for us, right? We don't want to assume that everybody has returned to the shepherd and oversee of our souls. Maybe there are some here today that haven't returned to the shepherd. Maybe you've been straying far from him and he's calling. And today's the day for you to return. Isaiah 55, verses six and seven say, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the great invitation that you can return to the shepherd and Overseer of your souls. You can be forgiven of your sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died in your place. You can repent. You can return to God now. You can have your relationship with him restored. You can be born again like he talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. You can be saved. You can have the spirit of God move from the outside to the inside of you and make you a new person today. It's awesome. Let us return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. But for the church and those of us who have returned, let us remain by his side. What does it look like practically? First of all, don't try to get out of the suffering through illegitimate means. If you're in an unjust situation, don't try to get out of it through illegitimate means, through lying, through retaliating, through reviling, through threatening, through physical violence, whatever the case may be. Don't try to escape your suffering. Stop complaining about our suffering. Again, these are all things that would show that we're, re- we're remaining with the Lord. We're staying close to him. We're living the way that he wants us. To that, we don't complain about our suffering. Do you know the Bible actually says you're supposed to rejoice in the midst of your suffering? Not complain, but rejoice. How are you doing with that commandment? In the midst of suffering, are you complaining? Are you hating the moment? Are you even turning and thanking God and rejoicing in the moment? God is using this trial to fit me for heaven, to build up my character. To change me into being more and more like Christ. Christ was bowed down under the weight of that unjust cross. And God is using this suffering right now to conform me to his image. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'd rather be a lot more like Christ tonight when I go to bed than like Samuel Nelson when he woke up today. I need that change. Thank you, God, for this tribe. You have ordained it. You have brought this about in my life. in your infinite wisdom. And I know you are good and trustworthy. And I believe in you. And I rejoice in hope. Now, today, praise God. Don't try to get out of your suffering. Thank God through it. Entrust yourself to him. Stay by the side of Jesus. Stay close to him. How do we stay close to Jesus? Reading. Reading his word daily. Abiding. Not only reading, but abiding. Relishing the truth of who he is. Delighting yourselves in the Lord. Until he gives you that abundance of peace that you need. Praying. Singing, slaying your sin, staying with the body of Christ. These are all ways that we abide and stay near and and, and return and remain with our shepherd. Again, reading, abiding, praying, singing, slaying our sin and surrounding ourselves with godly influences. Second Timothy 2 verse 22. Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Don't try to do this alone. Do this in community with brothers and sisters in Christ supporting you. This is how we remain with the Good Shepherd. Let's flip it around. What happens if we don't do these things? Think about these questions. And the answer is obvious. What happens to a Christian who doesn't read his Bible? What happens to a believer who does not abide and delight himself in the Lord? His love will vanish away like the morning mist. Hosea chapter 6 verse 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? Oh, what shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the dew that goes early away. Hosea 6 verse 4. God's people had this problem in the Old Testament. Their love just evaporated. As soon as the sun came up and the trials got hot, no more love for God, only love for self and flesh. Why? Because they were not like a tree planted by the streams of water, meditating on the Word of God day and night, sending their roots deep into the soil, drinking up that life giving stream. And so they fail and they falter. What happens to a Christian who never takes time to pray? What happens to us when we find no relationship, no joy in our relationship with God and no reason to sing? What happens to a person who, instead of slaying his sin, he continues to hide and nurture his sin? What happens to a believer who stops coming to fellowship with the body? James chapter 1 verse 15 tells us, Then when desire has conceived, birth, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's where you're heading. That's where you're going. If you're not reading, singing, abiding, slaying, and praying, and staying. You are departing. Going down the the pathway that leads to destruction. So... Four things to remember today as we as we walk away from the word, but hopefully we take the word in our hearts. Four things to remember. Number one, we remember our heavenly reward. We take our eyes off the suffering of the moment. and Remember that God has good things in store for us and that it's worth it and he will bless us. We remember the example of Christ Jesus. We study it in his word so that we might apply it in our lives and 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 live out. the gospel the same way that Jesus did, live out faithfulness and obedience to him the way that he did. We reflect on the gospel and we remain close to our shepherd. And what's the payoff? What's the incentive for doing these things? It's, it's joy, inexpressible and glorious joy. Look at chapter one, verse eight, as we, as we wrap up our time. Though you have not seen him you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even before you reach the gates of heaven, you already experience heaven's joy as you are persevering in trials, as God is purifying your faith, as you are having these spiritual breakthroughs. Awesome. Close, let's close today in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for your word. God that gives us instructions on how to flesh out the gospel, how to be incarnational in our witness, how to become mature believers in our walks. And God, for this is the end that that I, I labor for this, Lord. This is why I struggle and why I toil, God, to present Central Baptist Church mature and complete in your sight. God, that all of the trials that they endure, all of the God-ordained trials, God, would not be wasted. They would not complain about them. They would not grow bitter towards you in the midst of their trials. Even when suffering unjustly in the worst kinds of, of, of suffering and persecution but God, they would continually turn their faces to you. They would reflect on the rewards and the gospel and, and apply the example of Jesus in their lives. And God, they would stay close to you. God, help us. We need your help. God, we cannot obey these commands on our own. God, we do not say this as a, as a, as a, as a matter of lip service as if we could really obey them if we wanted to, but we're just saying this to sound humble. No, God, we're saying this because we cannot obey these commandments. We cannot um, be gracious to those who mistreat us. We cannot live out the example of Christ unless you break us down and break our pride and, and help us. God, we need your help. God, right now we're thinking through our lives and and, uh, God, we all have hard hard people and hard spots that we're in and, and maybe situations that don't feel fair. God, please help us in those. Help us to think through those situations and how can we be like Christ in those situations. God, give us self-control, give us strength, give us power, give us motivation for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.